Welcome to the Jeff and Alex podcast. I am Jeff Hillemeyer, and with my friend, Alex Gonzalez, we explore topics that help you be your best self. And we also get to chat with some great guests. So join us now on the Jeff and Alex podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Jeff and Alex podcast. And hello again, Jeff Hillemeyer. What's up, Alex Gonzalez? I see we have the full Dragon Army, uh, you know, billboard systems going on over there. Hold up your mug. Let's see it. Hey, that's right. Here we go. <laughs> this, and uh, this, uh, yeah, today's segment is brought to you by Dragon Army. So, uh, <laughs> so call Dragon Army for any needs you have, even if it's not related to marketing or digital. How about Anything. that, Jeff? <laughs> it works. <laughs> Hey Jeff, uh, you know one of the things that I, I, I'm very fortunate to get to be working on is um, is the entrepreneurial ecosystem here in Atlanta. It's thriving now. You, it, it's interesting when I when I think about this. Uh, back in my corporate days, and I was actually in Equifax, you were the person who kind of helped unlock my the kind of the understanding of the startup ecosystem here in Atlanta. And yeah. as I think about it, because I always say, oh, Jeff, just the guy who knows how startups work. <laughs> um, and now, now, now here you are coaching, you know, corporate people. So, you know, it's a, it's yeah. a full circle here. But so so what's what's your what from your view? How have you have you seen this startup ecosystem kind of evolve here in Atlanta? Yeah, I think a couple of things. First of all, I think um, we have the most potential of any city. Um to change the landscape of startups and entrepreneurship. Um, the diversity of the startups that are being created today is tremendous. Now, you know, whether they're getting the funding they needing that they need, whether they're getting the access they need, um, that is still stuff we have to work on. But the, but the nucleus of talent here and, and incredible leaders that are starting companies, I think that's, that's amazing. The other thing that I think is is great about Atlanta is we're starting to, this has always been a problem with Atlanta, but we're starting to be comfortable with who we are. Um, mm. You're hearing a little bit less of, well, we need to be the Silicon Valley of, um, or right. the New York of. It's like, let's just, let's just be Atlanta. Uh, and that's what I, I get excited about uh, the guest we're going to talk to today, because I think he is looking at ev- all of this differently and uniquely from the perspective of sort of his world, but also Atlanta. Um, and so I'm excited about that. Yeah, no, I agree with you, Jeff. And you know, putting kind of a, you know, a Metro Atlanta Chamber hat on, it's it's uh, from innovation perspective, what you're saying is so spot on. And I think uh, um, that element you brought in at the end in terms of we're getting comfortable being Atlanta and, you know, having this unique innovation ecosystem that's, that's both um, colliding tech and also creative, taking advantage of our incredible university system, you know, which, which is very wide ranging from our HBCUs to Georgia Tech to Georgia State. Um, but I think you, you bring up something that's important to embracing the also diversity and charting a path to to really redefine what that means. And, and you know, you, you know, Jeff, very well, the diversity in entrepreneurism is is a challenge nationally. And so what a better place in Atlanta to change it. Definitely not there yet. But I think with a lot of the leaders that we have, there's a there's a great opportunity here. Which is why I'm excited today about our guest. Um, you know, I, that's I, I got to meet Joey uh, uh, Womack through uh, through some of this work around innovation entrepreneurism, and he does so much, Jeff, um, and and so much that you know it's even sometimes hard to keep up with him because he's constantly 
pushing something new. He's a natural entrepreneur himself. So I am just excited here to, uh, to have Joey Womack join the show. Yeah, let's get into it. All right. So let's bring on Joey. Joey Womack, welcome to the Jeff and Alex podcast. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. Doing really good. My morale grade is, a, is an A right now, so I'm feeling good. That's an ad. That's pretty good, especially this early in the morning as we, you know, film here. But that's that's excellent. Well, it's good to have you here. And it's interesting as, um, I, you know, I always like to say, if you, if you don't know Joey, you, you're, you don't know Atlanta because, you know, you, you've been doing so much for, for Atlanta and actually for much more than Atlanta as well. And it, it's interesting. If someone goes into your LinkedIn, you, you know, what I love about you is that you can't describe Joey in like one line because you, you're, you're involved in so much stuff and we'll get into that with WeWorks and Goody Nation and Amplify for Good and there's probably like five other things that you're not even telling us that you're working on. Sure. But, so what's what's your one liner? How do you describe Joey Wilback? Uh, you know, super connector, um, passionate about making a change on a global level. Oh, that's that's nice. So let's start, so let's start bringing it down then. So t- talk a little bit about the uh, the projects you're working on, uh, you know, just kind of describe what it is and uh, we'll kind of go from there. Yeah, the, the main thing now is uh, the Intentionally Good Project by Goody Nation. And so that's a, um, really an ecosystem and initiative. And I'm, I'm happy to say now we can go into detail shortly about how we're expanding nationally. Um, and that's all about helping diverse founders and social entrepreneurs to get connected to influencers large companies into uh, capital providers. So essentially it's helping to fill the the family and friends and, and angel funding gap or, or kind of yeah. complement it. So super excited about what we have going on. We have some big announcements coming up in the next uh, few days, actually. Excellent. Nice. So we look forward to that. I'm curious, Joey, is, is the, um, is the discrepancy worse or better in Atlanta compared to in New York, Silicon Valley? Like how do you see the landscape nationally? You know, you know, it's interesting. We have some interesting data that's come in in the, in the last few days. I do think that it is um, the discrepancy is larger in Atlanta. You have more diverse founders seemingly in the city. So I see there's almost like this. Uh, it's not necessarily a glass ceiling per se, There, but it, there are limiting factors. I mean, it, to me, it boils down to network and a few other things. Uh, but we're seeing some interesting things, not necessarily from New York, we're seeing a good number of founders from Chicago and like Dallas that have raised over a million dollars. Um, never would have thought that, quite honestly, because uh, if you talk to those very same founders, they also complain about there's not enough diverse founders in their particular ecosystem. They see that there are many cases, there's four, there's five. And then when you compare that to Atlanta, where there's a lot, but we don't have that many that even have raised over a million dollars. It's really interesting. Yeah, enjoying it. And I've had the uh, privilege of being able to get to know you, particularly through this work in particular. So, um, and one of the things that that you're really honing in on is this this network or access to network. And because and I because I, I think in this discussion, obviously capital is critical. So getting the access to capital is essential. But you really have this perspective of, you know, it, it's about networks and that kind of unlocks everything. So talk a little bit about how you kind of came to that and how you are helping these entrepreneurs get access to networks. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. So so part of it is genetic for me. So I, I, I get it from my mother. She's a, <laughs> a human human Facebook. 
so to speak, and she gets it from her from her uncle who was um, you know, from Montgomery, Alabama, did a lot of the uh did a lot of civil rights work, uh really close with Martin Luther King Jr., his photographer there. Uh, he also owned a, a small nightclub so all the civil rights activists when they would come to Montgomery, um, he would host them and stuff like that. And so, you know, all my life I had just had this ability to kind of see people over here, people over here and kind of connect them for whatever um, reason that, that either they would like or I see the opportunity. And so then I started to uh, take that same philosophy and then apply it to entrepreneurs. Um, we're also funded at Goody Nation by the K-Poor Center out of Oakland. They come out with this report called the Leaky Tech Pipeline. And here's where they identify a lot of reasons why diverse uh, founders and people in general um, don't get the access that they need or essentially they, they fall out of the tech ecosystem. And so one of the very specific problems that they identified is around access to well-connected people, mm-hmm. specifically access to people that have graduated from top colleges and universities and those that either currently work for or used to work for top companies. And so that's where I kind of pinpoint my efforts to connect people. And I feel like when we connect our founders to uh, those type of individuals, they can unlock a lot of doors in a very, very short amount of time. We've, we've seen some really early success using that, uh, that methodology. Yeah, and and so talk about how uh, how this works, particularly with the with with the intentionally good uh, project with with uh, which is part of Goody. Is it part of Goody Nation, or th- th- that's is. how you think about it, right? Yeah. Um, what are the because I think um, you talk about there's a lot of potential for founders here, and and for you, it's this is the variable you want to unlock to to hopefully change the dynamics. And I, I think you'd agree if you can't if you cannot change this paradigm in Atlanta, where can you truly change this yeah. paradigm for entrepreneurism? So, so how do you help uh, make those connections for the networks between the entrepreneurs and these well-connected, you know, individuals? Sure. I mean, sometimes I mean it, it's a little bit of you know methodology. Sometimes it's just kind of instinct, right? So, a lot of times we are looking at commonalities between. Um, the type of industry the founder is in, their business model, where they may have gone to school, some of their uh, the organizations that they sit in. Uh, and then we kind of look at the on the other side, kind of the same kind of factors. Mm. And so um, at the same at the same time, things just kind of pop up. So for for context, um, a, a old college friend of mine who I probably haven't talked to in five, six, actually probably 10 years, honestly. Reached, to, reached out to me on LinkedIn. She, she was she living in New York, working for Urban X, the accelerator up there that gives $150,000 and gives access to Mini Cooper um, engineers. And so, who, hey, who you have for me as it relates to um, founders? And she, again, I haven't talked to her in 10 years. She follows some of my updates and I immediately kind of went to the database, um, literally our database, and also in my mind to kind of figure out who would be a good fit. And then it ended up with Dahl Avant from Aqua Genuity getting connected there, getting the $150,000 investment um, and kind of helping to take your company to the next level. So these are things that kind of happen um, kind of programmatically now. And we're, now we're investing in actual infrastructure to, to quicken the process of making intros, uh, but also kind of happens just kind of instinctually off, off the top of my head. And that, Joey, that's a connection from Florida A&M? Correct. Yeah, Florida right. A&M. And 
I was, uh, I didn't think I realized this, but you started your first company in college, didn't you? Yeah. 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 So, uh, it was about parties, <laughs> <Quite honestly. laughs> you know, with the typical, the typical college thing. Right. I mean, I was, I was in a fraternity and, uh, I was on the committee to, to throw events. And so this was a, a long time ago. And, um, I was trying, I, I came up with the idea to, uh, to create a, a solution for a problem we were facing and that's getting the word out to uh, a core group of students that were outside our, our normal, our normal group. And uh, the reality is I presented the idea to the chapter for them to do it. This was sending out emails and giving discounts to events, a um, little bit of attention to customer acquisition. And they said it was a horrible idea. College students were not, this is 2001. They're not going to be on email like that. It doesn't make it, it doesn't make any, any sense. And so eventually I took that idea and, and uh, did it myself and grew it to top three in the country. And that um, I'm so curious because I started my, my first company in college a couple of years before you in 98 and mm. have been an entrepreneur ever since as well. And I, and as I see you create things, that entrepreneurial spirit is, is so a part of, you know, your ethos. Did that come from your parents, where did that, how, how, or was that not natural? Did you have to sort of figure out how to do that? That's a very, very interesting um, question. So I was actually having a conversation about that this, uh, this weekend. So actually I went to school to be an accountant. Um, mm. I had no intention at all of being an entrepreneur. So, the, and the reason I wanted to become an accountant was because my dad was an accountant and an older accountant has had an older cousin who actually lives here in Atlanta now um, who worked for big four. And so all I knew is that I love numbers and I love trends and data, right? Decently, probably above average in math, but not like super genes or anything like that. Um, and I got to school through a series of serendipitous events or however one you want to describe it. Um, I, I landed upon this idea, but my, my, my mother is really good at numbers. She actually, um, at the same time, she was actually an entrepreneurship coach. Um, back in back in the day my wow. dad unbeknownst to me was actually an investor in a nightclub um mm. but had never he had an entrepreneurial spirit but had never become an entrepreneur and i just talked to him this weekend and he would have uh, majored in computer science um in college but he got a scholarship i'm from alabama actually so mobile um he got a he got a scholarship to a school in hbcu in virginia um, and they did not offer computer science. So he ended up majoring in business administration with a concentration in accounting. Um, so there's a clear line between my parents and what I do. Um, and then also how they've supported entrepreneurs along the way and it kind of rolls into me. Nice. So when you see entrepreneurs, uh, cause it's interesting cause you had this path where, you know, you, you had this corporate path or this accounting path, you're going to kind of chart it out. But it seems like this entrepreneurism was natural within you. Yeah. I'm sure now you're at a point where you're getting a lot of, obviously you do have a lot of entrepreneurs that come to you and, and you have a lot of them probably asking advice from you. Can you tell them the difference between the person with that entrepreneurial bug or X factor and those who, as someone described once, who just doesn't want to have a boss? I mean, do, do, are you able to, you know, how, how do you identify that entrepreneur that's going to be, that's going to have success? Because not everybody's going to be successful as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a few things. One, it's around just, do they have the ability to make stuff happen? 
I mean, there's a few, probably a few other phrases we can't repeat here yeah. about how people in the space are kind of describe it, but they just kind of make something happen. Can they go from idea to something tangible relatively fast, right? And then I also try to, I try to, I try to track the rate of kind of ideation to implementation in my mm-hmm. head. So as the only child growing up, I had nothing to do but to take my 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 ideas and let my imagination run wild and just try to use it to entertain myself, right? So create something tangible. So I look at that, their ability to make something happen. The other thing I look about, I other thing I look at is their self-awareness relative to the progress that they've made. So dealing with entrepreneurs now and, and Village Capital has come out with an awesome rubric to assess yeah. the progress of a company. Um, do they think they're, they've made enough progress that would qualify for them for like a Series C or an IPO when they've barely redu- produced a product? I see that all the time. And I do know that well, what I've seen is that the, the, how can I say this? The closer the entrepreneur rates themselves to a third party rating them, the like the more likely is that founder to be successful. Mm, and then self awareness, yeah. And then yeah. third part is what I'm gonna kind of somewhat call CEO competency, and I think it expresses itself in several different ways. How do their financials look? And these oftentimes you come you see this with people that have been a founder more than one time, or it's not their first time doing it. Can they explain their idea in a clear and concise way in a pitch deck? And it doesn't mean that the pitch deck is beautiful. It's just that it is, is it clear? Can they describe it in one sentence? Um, do they really understand their value proposition and stuff like that? So I triangulate, you know, their ability to kind of take something or build something from nothing, their self-awareness and how clearly and concisely they express what they do and other kind of forms of competency. And that's how I can tell if someone's going to be successful or not. I love that. Um, and I, I have to give a plug for um, Topes, How I Built This on NPR, Calendly. Yeah. Um, so amazing if you haven't listened to it yet. But, you know, what you just described, Joey, is as you hear his story and as before he got to Calendly, you could see all those traits within him, yeah. right? Um, and and then, of course, he finally hit on the right idea at the right time and and it was able to take off. Um, I'm curious though, from your perspective, as you look at more diverse communities in the, in the startup and entrepreneurial world, um, is there, I almost wonder if there's a, um, there's both some people that, that to your point, maybe think, um, they've done more than they actually have. But I also wonder if the opposite is true a little bit, that there's a, maybe a lack of confidence because they don't have the network or the things built in that they see others having. Do you see that as well? No, definitely. I mean, and I think I'm case study number one in that. In some in some cases, I think some of it is is cultural. So in many cases, and I can speak for for many black communities, if you come out there and kind of express yourself and you're very confident, you say you've done this. In many cases, unfortunately, the community kind of could kind of say, "Oh, you're too arrogant. You're you're you think you're too good for us," and so on and so forth. Um, and so that that forces enforcing many black founders to and this is like this is not as adult. This can really start in elementary school, quite honestly. And so eventually it expresses itself in a culture um, of kind of essentially it's probably not the best way to say it, but like suppression occurs. And so you don't you very rarely want to say like essentially brag on yourself. And I see it all the time when I'm, I'm evaluating applications for various pitch competitions. People just will not talk about all the, the great things they've done, including things like internships and things like that. So 
it's an unfortunate thing. Um, and we have to really coach our founders to, to tell their story even, even, even better. So that's interesting. So, I mean, because there's an element of the networks and the capital, but uh, we, all, we all know so much of it is there's that self-confidence, the, yeah. self, the self-aware self-confidence, right? Because I think it's yeah. very easy to find the person that's so self-confident that they're not aware of the reality. But that, that is an, an interesting, uh, and by the way, I've seen that even within, the, uh, you know, when I've, uh, even with Latin executives as well, too, where there's an element of not bragging about yourself as much as you should. And bragging is maybe the wrong term. Yeah. But, but that's interesting, too. So I would imagine part of your network building also gets into the mentoring building, because this is where having not even another executive, but another founder who's successful or whatever, help coach an entrepreneur to kind of level up that skill. Is that part of what you look at as well? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's, it's it, it, tactically, it's like, Hey, add an additional logo on your pitch deck, add this on LinkedIn, or, you know, ha- here's how to casually kind of name drop without, without bragging in terms of your pitch and how you're describing things. Um, it even, it even technically applies itself during um, video calls. So what I've seen is that when you meet someone in person, there's some type of power dynamic. The person with the less power, so to speak, may feel a little bit intimidated. And when you meet someone in person that can express itself in, in a, a few different ways, the person that has the, the higher job position or the power mm. may say that, oh, that person isn't worthy. Worthy is probably a bad way to say it, but we, I may not give that person the opportunity, right? Or they make a quick judgment, essentially what right. I'm saying. When you do it, when you start the relationship on video, because that, that personal space is not you know, there, the, the, the intrusion in it, oftentimes it makes it a lot easier for the, for the relationship to start off on the right foot because the person is less intimidated. So you do that, you take an initial uh, uh, connection, have a great first call, maybe do a second one, maybe do a third one. And then eventually you can transition to an offline relationship, but the relationship has already been strengthened and there is no kind of uh, intimidation there. And so that accelerates relationships, particularly for diverse founders, even right. faster. Fascinating. Now, uh, I was just going to ask us uh, about the connectivity, um, whether it's through intentionally good or through maybe what we're doing with WeWork, the aspect of physical connection space and creating entrepreneurial space. Is that part of your formula um, or is that something you work on to, to create that, you know, physical connection? And, and how are you adapting in this COVID world um, as we work through it in terms of making, those, making sure those connections still occur? It is very different you know, even, you know, when you don't know someone to make that Zoom connection versus that initial handshake or whatever it might be. Yeah, and I, and I do have an update in that situation. We worked, made the decision to, to close the, uh, the lab in Atlanta. And we're just we're kind of revamping the the whole labs program globally. So, you know, they closed the lab a few weeks ago. Um, But what I did see in the very short amount of time that it was open relative to us then going into quarantine is that physical space where you have a bunch of awesome people together in a very confined environment creates a lot of magic, quite honestly. So I'll kind of, kind of, kind of reset and see where things go when, um, you know, things go back to normal, so to speak. But what I have seen is that in a, in a COVID environment, it, I mean, it does also allow for connection to be made on, on a global level now. Uh, with Goody Nation, is, it has allowed us to expand um, right. 
nationally. It was already in our roadmap, um, but the what we're, you know what we're going to announce in a, in, a, in a few days is going to you know it just fast track that times three hundred. Um, so the great thing is that now I understand how to scale programs, build processes, uh, invest in infrastructure to to make it happen. So I'm really excited about the future and really excited about you know what we're about to announce. Well, and that's a good point too. Uh, 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 is that I think in this kind of virtual reality we're living into, it's actually helping. It's it's well, maybe helping is the wrong term, but it's letting people innovate a little bit in terms of what those connections are. So now you could have a connection from across the country, and sometimes the access could not even be within your own city. It's access to the network or capital outside of your city. So that's a good point that it seems like you're taking advantage on in terms of using the virtualness of the world we live in to, to your advantage for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So what, what's interesting to me about that um, sort of new expansion is it, it moves into what I love um, that you have sort of as, as part of your mission, which is to help a billion people. Is that right? Yep. And by 2039. Yep. 2039. Talk, talk to us about those two numbers. You know, so the, the funny story about how it actually originated is this. So I had the idea for Goody Hack in December of 2013. Um, the next day I found out that I got into this entrepreneur or social entrepreneur support program out in San Francisco as a weekend event. Um, and so that was MLK week. It, it was scheduled to take place MLK weekend of 2014. So we go out there, there's 30 people in the cohort. You have a former uh, Olympic gold medal winner, same swim team as Michael Phelps. You have um, somebody that wanted to become the first uh, woman prime minister of Nepal. Yeah, and her, her father was a high ranking official in the government. They had a lot of people with global aspirations. And at that time, I'm just a guy living uh, here in Atlanta thinking about doing things locally, which is perfectly okay, right? The first day of the program, the founder of it says, hey, how can we impact change for a billion people? Hmm. Now I'm a competitive dude. Like, <laughs> I grew up playing mainly baseball, but also football. Uh, and so I'm like, I'm, I'm sitting in the room, you know, I'm thinking, okay, well, how could, how could I make this happen? Like, okay, cool. I, I'm thinking, you know, Atlanta, maybe Southeast in terms of the impact. And so I'm thinking, okay, how can I make this happen? Um, I didn't find out until a few weeks later, he actually meant how can we collectively help a billion people? Well, by that time, I already come up with this plan <laughs> to help a billion people in the next 25 years. So just because he challenged us to help a billion people, I took it the wrong way. I thought it was individually. That's how I got to the billion. And I thought like 25 years is not like, like 10 was like way too aggressive. Like 40 is like, ah, I mean, I can be here, but I mean, let's, you know, let's, let's come up with something in the middle. So I landed on 25 years. So a billion people by the year 2039, I started exacting this plan in order to, to make it happen. And so you're what a fourth of the way, fifth of the way into that. Um, I, how are you doing? I think so. I mean, I think, I mean, you start thinking through like the, the one of the big breaks for us was when um, Google brought us on to help them think through design thinking as it relates to the 2016 presidential election. So they were building products. This is this was the fall of 2015. They were building some products 
to affect the election in terms of people, you know, everybody goes to Google search, search, right? Right. And so I'm thinking like, so this is a roughly a year and a half after, you know, I've come up with this, this goal. And, you know, now I'm like, oh, wow. Like you think about how many people live in the U S and how many people vote. I'm like, oh, I actually have, this is, this is, this is happening. This is, this is happening, you know? <laughs> so uh, I count that from a potential standpoint and a few other companies that we're working with, I think tactically now I look at it is if we can do some clusters of helping 10 companies affect 10 million people um, each in terms of their, their impacts, uh, I think we'll, we'll, we'll be on the way to, um, I'm sorry, 10, 10 groups of 10 companies affecting 10 million people will be on our way. And to that, Joey, um, in the work you do with entrepreneurs, I believe you, you do you focus as well on the on the social, or is that a big part of it in terms of social impact um, companies? Because we've been seeing, particularly in Atlanta, a lot of that, right? A little a rise yeah. of social impact companies. Talk a, a little bit about um, kind of the secret to success of that model and what, what you're seeing in general of these kind of, kind of socially good companies that sometimes are for profit, by the way, but it's still yep. impacting people. How, how do you help support those? And what are you seeing in that space? Yeah, I mean, so at the end of the day, we're looking just to create a better and more sustainable future for us all. I mean, I feel like the diverse part of it kind of falls under you know, wealth creation, inequality sure. gaps, things of that nature. But yeah, from a standpoint of what we're trying to do, at, at, or just me personally, I'm also like Goody Nation, we're looking to help companies in the health space, in clean tech and other forms of sustainability. Um, and education is obviously huge. Um, and, and so our thing is if we can help them um, scale up and the interesting part around the capital piece is that when we see when we do these, these evaluations, it's extremely difficult for social entrepreneurs to raise capital, particularly here in Atlanta, unfortunately. Right. A lot of the, I feel like a lot of the impact investment networks are gonna be in the San Francisco's and the New York's of the world. I know there's some, you know, there's some new models coming out but we really try to help the, the, the social entrepreneurs really think like a true technology startup. Like that's, I mean, they're all for profit for the most part. They're all going to be for profit, but right. for like, we, we try to get them to set aside your, your passion and your own impact and build a scalable company so that you make it, it makes you more attractive to investors regardless of their impact or not. And that, and, and that capital will help you to scale up your efforts to help, help more people. Um, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I just, okay. yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, I mean, you start, I mean, you look at what, uh, you know, people like Dollabon from Aqua Genuity are doing with the kind of 23andMe for water. I mean, Gooder, I think is the, the kind of the, a really good yeah. test case. And that was kind of early. We helped them early on. And so um, they went on the tech stars and got a lot of other help. Uh, and so now we are able to take some of the, those models or the, those key learnings and, and put it into our model in order to, to help people scale up. And so you're seeing some interesting things come out of out of Texas. There's another one working on uh, water. They do it in, in a different way. They have it's kind of like IOT within like uh, pipes and things from the you know, municipal, municipal level. You're seeing some interesting thing in, in, in fintech coming out of Chicago um, and New York. And you're seeing even more. I think the big thing I think everyone knows is, is fintech as it relates to emerging um, uh, countries, especially in Africa. And is the is the coaching or or maybe connections or whatever it might be for a social entrepreneur 
what what's what's maybe different from from is it really the same you know sort of uh, capability you need to help build them as an entrepreneur or are there some unique variables because I could definitely see in the funding that model it, it might it might and I'm sure it's going to have to create how do we reinvent how funding occurs because it's uh, because it's sometimes the success metrics may be a little different but is there a skill set that's unique to as a social entrepreneur that you need to build. I think the the only well the thing that that jumps out to me um, from your question is getting them to understand really their 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 impact model and their business model. Yeah. Um, if you can align, the, the easiest thing is to just align your impact with your business model. I Meaning it's not something separate. Like the more the more money you make, the it's a it's a one to one relationship with how many people you help. Um, many of them try to shoehorn social impact into a company mm -hmm. and it just creates a lot of confusion. And just in general, when you're confused, you know, whether in business or you're on a playing field, you move slow, you know, so you don't live up to your potential. So trying to help them align their, their business model with impact is the, the best thing or the, or the, I, the, 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 the highest difference. Yeah. And I think going into that, um, to me, I, I think storytelling is probably, it's all, always critical, right? But when you're a social entrepreneur, um, you know, by nature, you're kind of saying to anyone that might invest or be a part of that, look, just as important as the growth and the profit will be the impact we make. And so how do you, again, you going back to getting people to be able to be confident and tell that story so that you can, you know, sort of bring people into the movement, which I think is, again, a little more important than your typical tech startup that's just like, you know, we're going to try to IPO and make everybody money. Yeah, if I could also add one thing, I want to loop back to a previous question you asked. Yeah, storytelling from a social impact um, perspective is extremely critical, extremely critical. I also think it helps to feel or, or helps to get them over the hump as it relates to bringing in capital as well, uh, which is true, I think, for nonprofits in general. I think we know that raising money as a nonprofit is really dependent on your, in many cases, outside of relationships based on your, your ability to tell a story. Going back to a previous question and the, the question you just asked, uh, Alex, on the difference in, in mentoring. One of the things I look at is the ratio of how an entrepreneur, how much an entrepreneur talks about their product. Hmm. If an entrepreneur talks about their product like 80% of the conversation, in my experience recently, I'm seeing that typically they are less successful uh, or they don't make as much progress. If they can talk, if they can barely mention their their product and talk about all the other aspects of their company, it seems like those founders, those CEOs perform better. I think it kind of makes sense because they see the business from a holistic perspective. Yeah. When you start to apply that to social entrepreneurs, because they're so passionate about the problem and thus the solution, it makes it very, very difficult. And so getting them to take a step back from the problem in the product and see the entire business is a is an area that we try to focus on. I think it's an area just in general for people to, to help out with. Well, Joey, um, you, you have so much, what, what I love about it is you have this, this grand vision and purpose and um, which, and you're constantly iterating too within your model. And, and it, it, I love this vibe. There's this, this element of beautiful consistency in what you do, yet there's always new ideas coming in and, and it seems like you're rapidly able to iterate and, and stop and reinvent, which I think is just an incredible model inspiring. So, um, so I know it's been a, you know, it's been a 
pleasure and privilege to get to know you um, uh, over the last few years. And I'm really looking forward to the impact you're not just going to bring to Atlanta, but to the world. So, so Joanne, we're also looking forward to the announcement coming out. And probably as we, I'm going to uh, recommend for people to make sure they follow uh, Joey on social media as well, too. Probably by the time we air this, we'll, it'll probably be, uh, we'll have this grand announcement out there. Um, there's a lot of activities going on. So, Joey, um, thanks for joining us today here on the Jeff and Alex podcast. And we Thank will you. see you soon. Awesome. Great to see you, Joey. Great to see you as well. That was Joey Womack here on the Jeff and Alex podcast. And man, he's just an amazing person. So inspiring. And we didn't even get into probably half the stuff that we wanted to talk to him about. He, he's doing so many things. It's terrific. Yeah, what I love about it, because I, I mentioned during our wrap-up conversations, is that he he's a... Uh, I didn't really appreciate his natural entrepreneurism within him. He's constantly reinventing, but still there's, there's purpose and movement going on. And um, it's going to take leaders like Joey to continue to make um, not just Atlanta, but really the country kind of reshape what entrepreneurism is about and, and give access uh, to more people with more ideas and, um, and change the way entrepreneurism looks in this country. Yeah. What inspires me the most about Joey is that um, he has the ability to create and build businesses that scale and um, achieve great things. And yet when you read things he writes, when you talk to him, it always goes back to helping others. And I just think that's Mm. something that I wish more and more entrepreneurs would embrace that yes you can be successful while also trying to do good in the world and i think a lot of entrepreneurs think it's one or the other and it's like you know when i talk to people who've built successful companies that are say 40 or 50 years old it's always hey when i retire i'm gonna do more good and joey's doing it in the midst of his you know what i'll call his prime right like he could do so many things so that's what i like the most and hopefully it inspires other people to believe that you can do both of those things at the same time yeah, and it's great because he is building that muscle because it is a unique, you know, what appears to be competing interests and skill sets. Yet what I love about it is he's proactively coaching people to help those coexist and teaching them when to be a business person, when to be social, but still be, be true to your purpose. So, And he wants but, to help a billion people. How about that? <laughs> that is, that is, you know what, anybody, anybody talks about it, uh, not having ambitious visions or purpose, I'm going <laughs> to refer them to Joey because that is just amazing. <laughs> That's just amazing. And I, and I, you know what, Jeff, I'm confident he's going to get there too. So. Yeah, no doubt. Well, good. Well, make sure, I, I encourage everyone, make sure you follow Joey on social media because uh, he does have a lot going on and he does have some very interesting things happening um, as we speak. So make sure to uh, keep an eye on what he's doing. Um, and also make sure you subscribe here to the Jeff and Alex podcast. We'll have guests like Joey. We'll also have some interesting topics ranging from talking about our favorite tech to very big leadership topics, whatever the case might be. We'll continue the conversation going. Make sure you connect with Jeff and I also on social media and tell us what you want to talk about and react to what uh, we're saying as well, too. So make sure you su- uh, subscribe here on, on YouTube or on your favorite podcast platform. Jeff Hillemeyer, great seeing you again. You too, Alex. We'll see you next time. We'll see you next week.